Hi, welcome to the Improve, Inspire, Impact podcast. I've no idea what the episode number is because I don't keep track of them, but the episode name is It's Not About the Fucking Food. And I do feel justified in swearing because it's a topic I'm very, very passionate about, speaking from personal experience. But what you're going to hear is a conversation with Chloe Jane Prince, who is a food freedom coach. Chloe works with all sorts of people, um, generally people who've got a difficult relationship with food, whether that's cereal dieting or food shame, food guilt, disordered eating, um, a preoccupation with diet culture. But even if you don't relate to that, Chloe's personal story is very inspiring. I really do believe it's not about the fucking food. Um, you just don't realise what's driving those thoughts and behaviours. So what Chloe has to say has certainly been extremely valuable to me. Give it a listen. Hi, Chloe. Really, really pleased that you've been able to do this for me. I really appreciate it. You are a food freedom coach. Could you firstly outline exactly what that means? Okay, so um, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm really, really excited to be chatting to you too. Um, a food freedom coach is basically somebody that works with disordered eating, um, eating disorders, body dysmorphia and body image. So I work with all of those things um, with, with clients at, at various um, different levels and, and really love what I do. It's a really cool job, but very diverse as well within that. I noticed you um, you do a lot of, of work on social media, a lot of posts you put up, which is predominantly where I found out about you, I think. And I read one of your posts this week and it had a summary on it. And I really, I loved it. And I want to, I'm going to read it back to you and then okay. we'll just, just talk about how <laughs> that I hope it was profound. Oh, it was. Um, <laughs> right, it says, wherever you sit on the spectrum of disordered eating, please remember that your body is not the problem and it really is not about the fucking food. Yeah, that sounds like me, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so why do you, you know, that I, it, was, it was a quite a long post and it went through a lot of uh, of your background, um, which we really do need to touch on because it, I think mm. it explains where you've come from and why, you, why you're doing the job you are now. Because I probably guess when you're a little Chloe, you weren't sitting at school thinking I'm going to be a food freedom coach when I No, no, definitely well, What were you going to, what were you thinking <laughs> um, I went through various different stages. I was always quite a caring person. So I think there were ideas of doctor. I actually applied when I first applied to university, I applied to um, be do a maîtrise en droit, so an English and French law degree, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. So yes. Um, but yeah, sorry, what was the question? What, why, why do I feel like that about the food? Or do you want me yeah, to talk exactly, about where yeah. I come from? Well, you can, you can sort or of both. Both, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, just do the whole thing. Um, so I come at it quite differently. I suppose quite a lot of um, eating disorder treatment here in the UK um, and disordered eat, you know, treatment for people with disordered eating is very food and body orientated. And I think there's a lot of problems with that. You know, with people with eating disorders and disordered eating, we are very food and body orientated anyway. Um, so you're kind of fixing the problem by making the problem worse in my ideas like giving people meal plans and you know exercise limits and all these things um and I you know I think that it's a bit of a backwards way of looking at it and and with very little success which I found through my own journey so I was a very overweight child um I was bullied an awful lot and definitely used food to cope with that um, I then um, had a trauma. I was sexually abused aged 11. And um, that's when my relationship really changed with food. And rather than sort of comfort eating, um, I 
used it as a way to punish and change my shape because I thought I was abused because I you know looked more womanly like my had my period aged eight aged 11 I started having boobs and hips and all of these things and I think that I really associated being in a more womanly curvy bigger body with with why I was targeted mm-hmm. so then I went on a long journey of anorexia and really struggling with that for a, for a very long time um about 10 to 14 years depending on where you count recovery starting and ending mm-hmm. um and the thing and I went through various treatment programs from inpatient to outpatient um to like more holistic therapy to you know all sorts of different things and and nothing seemed to work and I walked away from all of that therapy and wondered whether recovery was truly truly possible for me Mm -hmm. I definitely had a narrative I'm broken you know this is it this is the life and and I had doctors and professionals um say to me you just have to learn to manage this so that's this is as good as it's going to get and so I moved out of home and started going to work I did a French politics degree not on maîtrise en droit but you know nothing related (laughs) to food and body either so um I then came out of university and got a job and moved out and and lived on my own and sort of decided that you know I was no no longer under any duress from anybody to do recovery this was my life and unless I you know went down the road of getting sectioned which I didn't plan to do you know I could it it was my responsibility and I think that element of control actually really helped me feel Mm -hmm. that it was time to, to to do this journey for myself um and so I started doing the journey it wasn't easy um by any stretch of the imagination um, and actually a couple of years in to recovery and, and gaining quite a lot of weight because I was, I was, you know, of a lower weight um, with the anorexia. Um, I developed um, to, well, I developed symptoms of chronic pain and chronic fatigue. And I remember going, you know, I've, I've done all the hard work. Like I've put the weight on, I'm eating food, I'm challenging my fear foods. And now look, you know, body, what, what are you doing? So was that, do you think that's the result of um, putting your body through stress? Yeah. The, so the previous 14 years, 10, 14 years. Yeah. So my, in the genes that I have from, from my biological parents, I have um, a predisposition to Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is a thyroid condition. So basically my thyroid attacks itself. And um, in my maternal line, we've got um, rheumatoid arthritis. And in my paternal line, I've got psoriasis. And they come wow. together to form a lovely combination, <laughs> which good, is, is psoriatic arthritis. Mm. Um, and so my mum developed Hashimoto's when she was in her 50s. And I was diagnosed at 20. 23 24 and the same with arthritis my my family and you know and my dad I think developed uh, developed psoriasis when he was in his late 40s 50s I don't know for sure because I don't really have a relationship with him um and my um mum's line developed arthritis a lot later as well so basically from the stress that I put my body under through starvation and all those things it was um it it sort of switched the genes on from you know I do understand Mm -hmm. a little bit about genes and 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 genetics but it essentially switched the the gene on earlier than it would have been because the stress that that did um but it meant that I had to really reevaluate how I lived um it actually really it made things worse before it made it better because I was like I hate my body why are you doing this to me and you know really felt really resentful for being sort of given like this body and and you know it took me quite a while to 
realized that I had I had a choice I could continue working against my body or I could learn to work with it and support it and um I was supposed to be bed bound by the t- well I was supposed to be I was going to be wheelchair bound by the time I was 30 that was the diagnosis that I was given um and I'm pleased to say <laughs> that that mm-hmm. does not look like it's a possibility it certainly um, like it you're very very healthy so, but of course no one can tell can they whatever no, you look on the outside no one can exactly tell no. what's going on inside which is obviously one of the things that we um, yeah experience definitely and asking for a seat on the train because my joints hurt they see a young 28 year old and you know looking quite you know hair done you know if I I used to work um and get the train to work and you know getting it getting a seat I used to feel really bad and I used to have to feel like wanted a badge or something like or a walking stick or something to sort of go like just because you can't see it and I think this is something that you know I'm I'm very aware of but because of my experience that you know we don't always see mental or physical um things going on you know whether they're inside you know in the same with disordered eating I think there's a huge understanding misunderstanding in the sense that if you have an eating disorder you should be sat one side or the other of, mm-hmm. of a normal weight and actually we've this is why I mentioned in that post wherever you sit on the spectrum exactly. of disordered eating because it is a spectrum mm-hmm. but wherever you sit on that it doesn't mean you're more or less deserving of help there seems mm-hmm. to be a thing like well if you're not skinny enough or not fat enough it's, then you know you're left yeah. it's like the NHS the way the NHS treats it sadly um yes. it's you know if you don't if your BMI is not low enough, then it's bye bye. It doesn't matter that you're hurting in your head at all. That you, no. you you've got that problem going on in your head. It's they do yeah. treat. Here we go. They do treat it as if it's about the food. Yes, most of the time. Yes, and you know it's, it's not. It has nothing to do with it at all. It isn't. But I think I think the fact that it's called an eating disorder doesn't help that perception because no. eating food. But it's not. It's a it, it's a symptom. Like your mind. Yeah, it's a symptom. The food is just a symptom. Uh, the way that that we control food when we have disordered eating wherever we sit on that spectrum is a symptom that there are things underneath that need to heal that's the same with body dysmorphia body image anxiety low self-confidence depression it's a symptom that underneath something needs to be healed it's mm-hmm. as simple as that and we can make it as complicated and you know as somebody that works with um people that have lots of different psychological traumas and various things you know we look at the dsm5 the diagnostic statistical manual for mental health you got all these little tick boxes and i just want to scream at it slash tear it up sometimes and go this is you know we're looking at rather than looking at the symptoms why don't we look deeper and look at the cause and actually help people truly heal rather than just giving them a meal plan and sort of exactly. masking over these things exactly you tell them a little bit passionate I start my arms no, start I, flailing but <laughs> I yeah but I, I share I share exactly what you're mm. saying because I've been I've experienced the NHS treatment yeah. or lack thereof yeah. um but, it know, happened to me when I was 11 because I yeah. took it you know I started off as a very overweight child and I'd lost my period and my mum hadn't really understood until we went to the doctor. She was like, I'm a bit funny about Chloe, you know, a bit worried about Chloe's eating. And the doctor turned around and said, Chloe, so, um, you know, have you got your period still? And my mum went, yes, she has. <laughs> you know, And I went, uh. <laughs> but when we went to CAM, so the children and adolescent mental health, um, I was told that my BMI wasn't low enough. And what I heard was my BMI, my BMI isn't low enough yet. <laughs> yes and so you know and rather than and this is one of my other gripes is that rather we become very reactive when we work based on BMI like I think I I, you know and it's it's not really helpful for me to think what would have happened if they'd have started treatment with me Um, before I got to that point but you know I can't help but think about 
the people still going through that process you know that was quite a long time ago now and actually in in reality very little has changed in how we how we see and treat a lot of mental health issues in 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 the nhs um and that's why i do what i do now because i know that what they do for for the vast majority of people isn't enough i've seen some people do really well um especially if they haven't had a chronic disordered relationship with food so maybe not one that has been you know quite so entrenched in terms of behaviors um but for the for those people that are that don't respond to to the nhs treatment what next i think also um the nhs treatments appears from the perspective i've looked at it as as very much more geared towards people of lower weight yeah and there's not as much treatment or help for people um potentially binge eating and and obesity and i think that Mm. is probably not people don't i think people look at you know, people who are very underweight and they can see, you know, they can see something is, is, is because it's a right. clinical issue. And I think exactly. that's, that's how, you know, I very much when I was in the, you know, I'm grateful to the NHS. I was in um, a inpatient unit for nine months. Mm. And as a result of that, I'm alive and I maybe not have been without that. They didn't make me better, but it gave me the choice, yeah. you know, and, and I think that is that they see the the clinical the the physical issues of under eating of which there are fewer at a higher weight um but when we look at obesity and overweight um people you know i think i think again the the narrative misses the point and this is the same with so many ways that we look at things you know we think that if we tell people that they've got you know that they're morbidly obese even the words make me cringe when we think about it you know we say we say you're not enough you know this isn't okay there's something wrong with you and actually, what we do is we support the shame and the, you know, so many people are bullied for their weight, of which I was one. Rhino was a name I was called um, mm. for a very young age. And I mentioned mm. that in a post this week. And it's a very visceral word to be called. Mm. And, you know, I knew I was fat, but it didn't stop me eating because I needed that comfort, that reassurance, for, you know, to cope with the things that were going on. And it makes me really sad to think that people in larger bodies think that there's something wrong with them and they are made to feel that way because of the narrative that we use both inside and outside of treatment approaches you know we're told well just lose weight and and it's not as easy as that no i mean it's easy it's saying just gain some weight to somebody with anorexia it doesn't you know eating disorder it doesn't it doesn't work because it hurts you in the head (laughs) Uh, i mean there's so many uh cookie cutter you know right weight loss programs around um, you know, you think of the main two Weight Watchers and Slimming World, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they will take, you know, people will go and go to those and yeah, they do lose weight, but they haven't had the psychological, mm. um, help possibly that they need to, to be able to maintain that weight loss, to feel better about themselves. You know, yeah, it's, definitely. and I think that's, that's really And again, sad. it's a short term plan because what yeah. happens when you come off the points or the sins or exactly. the traffic light system, you know, there isn't this adaptability to, to what you do without it. And, and I, I have seen the lady that owns Slimming World and I can tell you that she is not in a small body and I have no problem with no. that. You know, she, you, we can do whatever we like and be whatever size we like to be. And we all have our own baggage and issues and, and have our own coping mechanisms. But the way that I think about a lot of the diet industry and and what makes me quite cross, and there may be some swear words that come out after this bit, <laughs> is, that, um, is that we we forget that it's a business. Yeah. You know, Slimming World and Weight Watchers work on the basis of having repeat customers. 
Yeah, and they get them, so don't just, they? Yeah, of course. You know, and how many people? You know, I could I could name the I could number the people that I have I've known that have gone to Weight Watchers and then come off, and then gone to Weight Watchers, Weight Watchers, and come off. And people then walk away with a narrative of there's something wrong with me. I can't lose the weight. What's wrong with me? I'm broken. Why have I done this again? Actually, this is how it's supposed to work. That's what they want you to do. Mm. They want you to lose the weight and come back because rather than then getting, you know, eight months of money from you, they get eight months times, you know, how, how many, many times, times you come back. And I was speaking to Kai over, my partner over, um, we, we had a very long drive yesterday. We were talking about, um, what I do and 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 why I do it and I said it's quite an interesting role to have because in a lot of ways my job is to make me redundant I want my clients to not need me and he has quite a similar role because he's yeah. a pro- process engineer so he goes on to new projects and you know then puts them into BAU and genuinely I don't want my clients to lead me I've been busier during this time. This We're currently in, in lockdown. I've been busier during this time than I've ever, ever been. And most people would turn around and go, Chloe, isn't it lovely that your business is, is doing really well and you've got so many clients? And I go, no, it's not. It's it's, it's sad, but why, why do really you think there's been, been such an upturn is, you know, in during lockdown? Um, I think there are a number of factors. I think particularly for people who, who suffer with more restrictive approaches to food. Um, the uncertainty is a killer. The fact that the lack of control, you know, I talked about one of the things being key for my recovery was, you know, moving out of home and and recovery being my choice. had nobody breathing down my neck. I think with somebody, for people with with disordered eating, especially on the restrictive end and, and who use restriction as a coping tool, they use restriction to provide them an element of safety, control, routine, structure, these sense of rules for living come in when we have, you know, at least if I eat X amount per day, then everything will be okay. If I exercise for X amount of minutes, then everything will be okay. Perfectionist, perfectionist mindset. Exactly. And that all comes from a root of unworthiness, right? You know, it doesn't come from a place of the food, you know, it feels, and this is why it's not about the food. It's not about the, it's not about the fucking food. It's not about how we look. It's not about the body. It's about what we're trying to achieve with it. But when we've done it for so long, we lose that. So I think that particularly at the moment with the uncertainty, maybe financial insecurity, you know, Kai's whole team was made redundant, you know, and we've, and part of why we've moved, you know, there's, it's really big staff that are potentially uncertain for people right now you know whether that's not feeling not being able to to exercise in the way that you want to exercise or and not knowing whether you're going to have a job next month you know they're really big things and so I think that people are reaching to other things that they can control and one of those things for a lot of us and one of our default mechanisms for a lot of us is food Mm -hmm. and then you've got people that you know and if we look at emotional eating we know that's driven by comfort you know we need for comfort and 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 when you don't have the connection the reassurance the support from others that's why i'm seeing that coping mechanism come in more um so it really it makes me really sad because i'm seeing more people that are more anxious that are struggling more and it hurts my heart and that's why i do my job i don't do my you know i was a project manager earning lots of money for and it doesn't ding my dong. It doesn't do it for me. You know, I, 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 I don't like people suffering. And so my job is to make me redundant because I don't want people to need me. If I go out, if I go out of business, I'll be a very happy lady. uh, I get, I get where you're coming from because it's, 
it's not a great business model, is it? No, really? it's not. <laughs> just need to be selling some sort of uh, food, you know, uh, yeah. Weight Watchers type It time. would be much more lucrative yeah. if yeah. I was a fat loss coach, you know. Yeah. It would be hugely lucrative. But, you know, I think, but I also know that the diet industry is such a force that, you know, yeah. um, unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be a problem that I have. No. I would really like it to be, you know, because there is a part of me that is very save the world. And, you know, I, you know, I, and I think that, and I think it, it probably helps with the people that I work with. I have endured this. I have been yeah. through an eating disorder. I have been, I have had BDD. I have had tremendous anxiety and depression and all of those things. And so I do this job because I don't want people to suffer. Yeah. And it makes me sad that they are, and I would do all I can so that they don't. And I think, um, you, when you think about therapists and coaches, mm. there are a lot of people out there who um, come at it from a very clinical point of view. They've mm. learned how to coach, mm. but there are also a lot of people that have come through it like you have, who've actually walked the walk. And I think there's a great deal of difference. I mean, I think as a someone, if you're feeling a little bit vulnerable and a little bit low, you're mm. more likely to gravitate towards someone who you know has walked the walk, who's not going to bear down on you and say well you know in this textbook you've got xyz you know i think i think yeah. that's that's why you're probably getting a lot of clients because mm. you're good at what you do and you, you've got the empathy as well you're not you know you know how yeah. to respond to people yeah and but, i think that it's it and let's be honest we are like i maybe i'm speaking for me but when i had my eating disorder and and maybe still now a little bit i am quite a sensitive person mm. and so if you say the wrong thing I will walk away with that. I remember somebody, you know, Christmas is not my favorite time of the year because it was all the time where family got together and my weight would have changed either up or down, depending on where I was on my journey. And the first I remember, you know, and with so much love, people would say, oh, Chloe, aren't you well. looking so well? Haven't you put on a lot of weight? And in my head, I was like <laughs> screaming. And just don't mention it. Kind of yeah. And I think that it's quite hard for clinicians that haven't and I'm, I, there are so many fantastic clinicians that that do so well to understand yeah. the warped mentality that is disordered mm. eating because it doesn't make sense no but I had a dietitian um when I was an inpatient that said you know I don't understand why it's not that why you're making it this difficult just eat it and I was like you're working in an eating disorder facility yeah. and so this was part of my drive I said well, to my mum when I was 16 if I learn how to beat this, you can be sure that I'm going to do some, I'm going to teach other people to do the same. But I think, again, this is something that's really important is that, you know, and this was something I definitely experienced was the desperation, the lack of hope. You know, if we, I know, I knew very little, very few people who had actually had what I'd call chronic disordered relationship mm -hmm. with food. If when I met people in clinics, they tend to have had, you know, eating disorders for, a, you know, maybe a couple of years and, and then had recovered. And the people that I did meet in, in adolescent units that had had eating disorders had had them for like 30, 40 years. And so as somebody looking at that, you go, well, I've had it for longer, you know, than, than the people that have recovered. Yeah. Am I broken? Am I ever going to recover? And there was a part of my brain that went, I think this is it. I think this is how life is going to be. Mm. And so when I speak to clients who go and every client, every client asks this question, Chloe, do you think it's possible for me? I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can recover. And I, I honestly, if I charge somebody a hundred pounds for every time <laughs> I heard that question, then I would be rich. Um, but everybody can recover. And I think that one of my, one of the strengths that I have doing the job that I do is that I've been there, done it, got the t-shirt and there is hope. 
exactly people can look at you and, yeah. and think i know where she's i know what she's done now she's been yeah. there. she's on you know oh, i don't like the word journey um, <laughs> yeah. really yeah. it. no, uh, but it's like it's like um you know recovery well recovery mm. from anything but from from an, an eating disorder there's always I, I think there's always something going to be at the back of your mind that can be dragged forward by yeah. some there will be a triggering factor and mm. things will potentially build again and you'll think oh I, I get a bit wobbly about it because you think oh am I going down that road again am I going down mm. that road again um yeah. Yeah. from 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 your perspective what what would you say this if you could pick I mean obviously you've got a full toolbox there of, of, of <laughs> techniques that you would yeah. that you are able to use and draw on because of yeah. your experience but what mm. are three key things do you do if you get into that situation where you think I'm a bit, I'm a bit wary I'm a bit scared of something happening what, what would you be your three go-to mechanisms so one of them would be if the worst because we're very good at worst case scenario thinking let's be honest those of us that are slightly more anxious mm -hmm. are very good at going what is the worst possible thing that could happen yeah now normally 99.999 percent of the time if the worst case scenario happens we will be okay we will survive it and so, you know, when, when Kai's job was looking uncertain, we were like, you know, oh my God, his job's so uncertain. And that's where the thought stops. Everything's uncertain. I can't cope. Da, da, da. You know, you see this sort of happening. We don't, get, we don't get to the end of the line with the thoughts. So really important that we ask ourselves, but what then? What would I do then? Well, we'd look for another job. And, but if, what if he doesn't get another job? Well, if he doesn't get another job, then he will go and stack shelves or whatever. He doesn't really mm. care what we do. And and if if that doesn't work out, then, you know, maybe we go live with, you know, one of our parents and, and, and sort of bulk down for a little bit. Well, actually that would be quite nice. So, you know, you get to the end of the line of the thoughts and you actually realize that no matter what happens, you will be okay. Another thing I do is do the what if game from both sides of the fence. So what's the worst case scenario, but also what's the best case scenario. So, so remembering that we get to look at both because the brain is a, is a very simple and also complex thing at the same time, whatever we, whatever thoughts we create in our head, become our reality but that means it works both ways so if I was I was a very nervous flyer and I used to think about how how many different ways the plane could crash and I'd play them through all in my head and what would I do <laughs> but then by the time you get on the plane the plane has crashed 20 40 50 times no wonder you're terrified because in your head your brain has experienced that plane crash yeah so why don't we create evidence to the opposite that's an interesting analogy yeah so, okay, let's imagine that we get, so if, if people struggle with anxiety and particularly if we have pre-work anxiety, which I used to get every Sunday night um, and probably most mornings too. And I used to sit down, sit there and go, okay, what would be my best day? How would I feel waking up in the morning when we do that? Actually, the brain has understood and, and seen that as evidence for the fact. So, and you've heard me talk about evidence before and how mm -hmm. important yeah, it is, yeah. but you know, the brain really does believe what we, what we focus on. So let's focus on shifting the narrative to what that helps us. Let's think about all the lovely things that could have possibly happen. Um, and the other thing that I would say is, is really focusing on what sits beneath those thoughts. So whether it's about food, whether it's about body, if we go, oh, I might be triggered and then I would do what? It's not, it's not the, the food is a coping mechanism. So is exercise. So is all of these things. So let's take a moment to sit with those feelings and create space to sit with the feelings, the thoughts and think about what we're looking for. If we're looking for control, how can we create that in a more helpful way? Morning routine is a beautiful way to create more structure in our in our day that is really supportive. You know, there are so many different things we can do, but really learning to sit with the pain 
and I say pain as in, you know, that emotional pain that we feel, knowing it's better than suffering. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between pain and suffering. Pain is the true, the original wounds, the pain, the, the shitty feelings that we feel. Suffering is how we make it 10 million times worse by playing through all these stories in our heads. So sitting with the feelings and asking ourselves, what do we really need? And meeting those needs in a way that's really supportive rather than maybe in a a less supportive way. Food is still a coping mechanism on my toolbox. I don't use it, but for an Armageddon situation where where nothing else Mm. has worked in the toolbox, Mm. it is there and that's okay. But you know that if, if, like we're talking about worst case scenario you know if if everything was absolutely terribly terribly terrible that is still there to to say help you it's not going to help you but it's there as an absolute end of the road backstop yeah yeah so So no one's taking that away from you no one said well you can't do it that way anymore and i think think it's half the problem is you think something's been taken away from you you're um, gonna want it more than ever exactly you know and this i think is a problem with the way that we treat people in in, with a lot of eating disorder treatment we go you can't have the eating disorder let's ban all behaviors yeah the behaviors are there because they helped you otherwise you wouldn't have them yeah so you know my dad had covid in march at the end of march and uh he was on a ventilator it was very scary because we didn't you know he couldn't use his phone he had sepsis pneumonia and was in that consciousness mm-hmm. it was a very very difficult time and he's he's my stepdad and i don't i don't have any relationship with my biological dad and you know my stepdad is an absolute diamond like mm-hmm. i always said to my mum when they got married if if anything happens to you i'm going to if you break up or you divorce or anything i'm living with dad like Aww. you know he we have got a very That's very lovely. special relationship and after I got that phone call to say that, you know, he was on a ventilator and didn't know whether he would come out or not. Um, and my head starts going all those funky things. Well, what if he doesn't come out? How am I going to mm-hmm. cope? You know, he's the best. He's the best. And the only dad I have now, because like, I was like, he's, you know, he's amazing. And food was very close to being the tool I came upon there. And you know what? If I had, that would have been okay. It doesn't make me a, a bad coach or a bad person. It means that that pain was potentially too much for me to cope with with my new tools whilst I have been a coach and and recovered for a very very long time I practiced the eating disorder stuff for a heck of a long time those tools are strong yeah and I think that we're so hard on ourselves especially with when with the unworthiness often underlies disordered eating that feeling of not being good enough we think it has to be all or nothing we go, I either engage in no behaviours or I do it properly and, you know, and I, you know, and I do everything. It's the perfectionist bit again, isn't it? Back to the perfectionist mentality. Yeah. And actually there's a huge space in the journey where you straddle <laughs> both sides yeah. of the spectrum. You have a play with, you know, new tools and, you know, no, and then go, maybe go back to, you know, your yeah. old tools and it's not absolute. And, and I'm, I, I could never say to somebody, don't use your food tools. Like, you know, I, I can give them other tools we can practice them, practice them, especially when we're feeling good, because then we start to strengthen mm. them and strengthen how hard and how strong they are. But for an Armageddon situation, that is a tool, that is a tool in my toolbox and it will always be. But if I can avoid using it, and actually what I did do is I did the things that, you know, that I mentioned to you, I thought, okay, if 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 my dad does die, what would happen then? Yeah. What how you know how would how would engaging in this behavior really help me? yeah and what am I looking for I'm looking for control I don't have it I can't go and see my dad I can't he has you know I can't go and see him I can't make him soup and take that in I can't give him a cuddle I am not in control so what I'm actually Mm. looking for is control so okay Chloe you're looking for control how can I make this another way how can I look after myself differently so I had and literally I got the call five minutes before dinner 
Oh, no. So within that five minutes, I sat and went, you know, and and I have, you know, people, maybe some people will listen to this and go, you know, she's an eating disorder and a disordered eating coach, you know, and she's looking at using food tools. But the reason I say this is because I think it's really important that we remember that we are, above all, we are human. And even as a coach with a bloody great toolbox of tools, we fuck it up. This is okay. (laughs) I know it is absolutely brilliantly okay because that is what I, from my perspective, I would much, 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 much put much more faith in somebody that does admit to not being perfect. Yeah. Because nobody is. Nobody is. But people will, you know, look at me. I got, I've got better by doing it this way. So I'll just write this plan. You'll get better by doing it too. Yeah. taking into account any of the gray areas you're either black or you're white and it's kind of like this is you know yeah, my yeah. plan's going to work for you and it's not like that and i think uh, you know i think you're, you you've got so much empathy um and mm-hmm. for people and you, you've got so much understanding and i i just find that amazing i just I'm really as i've got older I, the people being authentic and honest have become much much more important to me mm-hmm. i think when you're younger it's not as I think I just think as you get older, you you learn you learn more, and and that's now become one of my most most important things to me in the whole world is people to be honest and people to be authentic, and that's yeah. partly why I do these things because honestly, I I want to do this because mm-hmm. it makes me happy. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I enjoy it. Follow what lights you up. Exactly. You know, that's exactly. the biggest thing. And you know, I love talking to people. I love talking to people like you because you've got so much knowledge and stuff mm. and experience experience let's use, use the word experience yeah. um and you know and part of me would sit there and think oh no should i do should i shouldn't i shouldn't i shouldn't i um and have not not having the self-esteem or, or confidence to do it yeah. then i just make myself do it yeah um and to think you know you've got the, there's got to be that sort of element of that's my honesty that's mm. my thing the thing that i want to do and People might be laughing at me or whatever, but I'm kind of got. I'm kind of okay with that now. But it's yeah. taken a very, very long time to get to the stage. To yeah, be okay. and I think there's a with vulnerability. There's always a risk. Definitely, there's always a risk. Whenever I, whenever I tell my story or whatever part of that journey in inverted commas <laughs> I tell, there's always a risk. They go, "That bloody Chloe, how dare she talk like that?" And I've had people going, you know, I've had people challenge me. And I've had people say, you know, just because it's possible for you doesn't mean it's possible for everybody. And there's obviously a defensiveness there and mm-hmm. people have their own shit. They have, we all have our own mm-hmm. baggage, right? You know, mm-hmm. and shit and on. every time I, I do anything, there's always that doubt there that goes, you know, but what if, you know, again, that those, yeah. those nasty questions that go, but what if so-and-so thinks, and I think, do you know what? One, I'm doing a job that lights me up. This is what I'm meant to be doing. Exactly. And what if, okay, I, you know, annoy one person that listens mm. to this. What if there's one person that needs to, needs to hear this? Certainly. And that, that's, that's why we do it because it doesn't, you know, if, if a person or if 10 people laugh at me, it's worth that one person getting to hear what they need. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you do a lot on social media. Mm. You um, have a Facebook group, the Food Freedom Tribe. Yes. And you do all sorts of things on there, lovely things, masterclasses and everything. You've got one after this, haven't you? So, yeah, I'm doing a body image and BDD workshop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you do all of that for free yeah, for people. I do. Yeah. And it's a really important thing for me because 
as I said, I, I come at this from a place of service. And I think that that freaks some people out. Like, I think that some people are like, why she want me in the group? Is she inviting me to the group? What does she want from me? Is she going to ask me for money? Is this a scam? And actually, I was, I, when I when I found out about it and I was like, hmm, it's like, I was like woo. No, it can't be can't be somebody actually really wanting to help me kind of yeah. thing. Because you know, I get to that point where yeah. you know, nobody, want, nobody wants to no one wants to help me. And then and nobody like, wants to give you anything for free, right? No, we get told all these things all the time. <laughs> like, yeah. And I it again it comes back to knowing how fucking awful mm-hmm. I apologize to anyone who doesn't like swearing, but again, oh, authentically me. Yeah. <laughs> but, if, but if it's some you know, if when if I can help people that are feeling really awful to feel amazing, what better thing in life that well, couldn't there possibly be? Mm. You know, I'm lucky that Kai's got a good job and that, you know, if I make myself redundant entirely because everybody's living their best life and think thinking they love their bodies and happy to eat whatever they want to eat. Do you know what? I will mm. die a very happy woman. I think um, I'll die of shock, actually. That. Yeah. <laughs> that's um, but yeah, it's, it, you know, service is a, is a probably quite a loaded word, but this is, that is why I do my job. And yes, I do charge clients because it takes a lot of time and a lot we of energy do. doing the job that I do. But yeah. I will always give as much as I possibly can to free for free for my clients and for people that aren't my clients because you know how they feel. Yeah, because it's it's bloody awful existence. It really yeah. is. Oh yeah. And um, I remember it. And do you know what? I will never forget how awful it is. You just it's one of those things that you will never you you can never forget, I don't think. But it 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 drives me and it also it drives me in my own journey. Mm. And it also drives me to help others. And, you know, I think it's a, at least I've turned that. And for me, it's a huge thing to have turned my pain into my purpose. Yeah. It's, mm. it's, it's a real vote. It's not, a, I would say it's a vocation, but it's not a vocation. It's something that's come from, yeah. it's not something you would have ever really wanted to do, but it's, no. it's, it's what you've evolved into. Um, and yeah. that's, that's lovely. That- and it also, I'm also not different to anybody else you know it's not that I was given this gift you know at a young age or anything anybody listening to this that is that is struggling you can do this you can be on the other side of that journey too so don't Mm. think that you know I'm you know I have got anything different going for me than anybody else recovery and I do I believe this and I wish I could just shout it from the rooftops properly is that you know recovery truly is possible for everybody and anybody no matter how long you've struggled no matter what you're struggling with whether that's you know anxiety depression I was told I would be in a wheelchair in two years time and I am partying and dancing to shake <laughs> we're not quite partying we're in lockdown and also I have two drinks a year I'm very boring oh, no. but you know shaking it off around the living room and you know mm. doing exercise and movement that feels good for me like do not let people hold you back don't pe- let people say well this is you know I had it both times with my disordered eating and, and eating disorders and with with my with with my conditions this is good as it's going to get Chloe and I was like well we'll see how we go and now I'm like wish that I could go back and go well by the way it's sort of good a little bit dancing and, you know but, it, I'm, but I'm not anybody special it truly is possible for anybody and you know don't think recovery from whatever you're you're recovering from is perfect as a coach you know somebody that has done years of training and even longer in experience Mm. I fuck it up all the time and that's okay so don't you know I don't want people to think that you know 
oh Chloe's doing this and you know maybe she's this perfect. is what she's always meant to do and well then, we're oh. going back to, we're going back to that social media thing again aren't we yeah. well, where everybody looks like they're absolutely marvelous um but you never see how they got there it's no. like don't show me where you are show me how you got no. there and that's, that's why really I think useful. it's really important that we don't share the highlight room I think it's exactly. so it's so it, it, it's something I have to do really intentionally because it's hard for me particularly with you know I, I don't use foods at all but I, I share quite openly the story mm. about you know when my dad was really poorly but I still have high pain days and high fatigue days and I find it still hard to go on and 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 post you know saying guys look I'm having a pants day mm. body's not working properly and I think the, the thing that goes around my head is they'll think how can Chloe be a coach and not be okay and that's a, that's a story that I have in my head that there's and I think a lot of coaches do do this they show that you know I'm the happiest person I'm always happy always full of energy always loving life it's not realistic no and so, you know, there's, but there is that story of I'm a coach, I should, I should have my shit together. And this perfectionism, you know, it's not something that, you know, you, it's something that's there and it's there mm. and it's a, it's a fantastic personality trait to have because we will go over and above and, you know, serve more, help more, do more, wonderful. Mm. But I refuse to let that story stop me from being authentic. Exactly. And that, but that honesty, that honesty is so valuable. Mm. And I don't always do it. You know, there will be pain days where I just decide to to put a to face on and and yeah. lay down <laughs> and, and watch Netflix all day, yeah. and that and that's it. And do you know what? That's okay too. Like yeah. I don't, you know, I share a lot on social media. Um, but I also get to have my own life too. And I think that yeah. I don't live for social media. It, it's no. for me, it's a tool to share my story, to share a message, and above all, share hope. Yeah. So, how can people find you on social media? If uh, so. Chloe Jane Prince everywhere. So I'm at Chloe Jane Prince is my Instagram handle. My website is ChloeJanePrince.com. Facebook Chloe Jane Prince. So it's pretty straightforward to yeah, find me generally. Fairly, uh, yeah. Um, but um, the Food Freedom Tribe is one of my absolute favourite places to serve people. So if you search into Facebook um, the Food Freedom Tribe, you will find the group and if anybody wants to join and i promise you it is 100 percent free there's no catches no no pitches no like no no mm. trickery going on mm. i i try and do workshops every friday do q a's every monday all for free and if you want the support it's there for you yeah and it's a, a lovely little community i'm yeah i'm part of it let me just yeah. say i'm part of it <laughs> strangely enough i wonder why and, um, <laughs> and it is lovely and you know there is i think we're quite shy in there initially but now everybody's beginning to come out their own shell and and yeah. say, Do you know what, I've had a rubbish day or whatever. And, yeah. and that's good because we don't all have to pretend that everything's fine no. 100% of the time. No, we've got Celebrate Your Wins Friday, but I think exactly. we should fuck it up Tuesday yeah. or something <laughs> yeah. in there as well. What did we Walking fuck up Wednesday, this week? Yeah. yeah, but it's true. Like, you know, I think it's really, but it's, it's a lovely, lovely group. And it's something that I've really nurtured and I'm grateful for the people in it because they've made it what it is. You know, it wouldn't be what it is today without, without everybody's grateful for you. Yeah. I don't, I'm not so good at feeling that bit, you know, not, no. not feeling it, but I think there's a part of me that thinks that I can never, I'll never do enough. There's that little bit of perfectionist yeah. in me. That's almost like I need to save everybody. And but that's you're something going, I get to work on. You're get, already getting a, going over and above to serve people in that group. It's, and it is lovely. And, and I know everybody appreciates it within that group because you. you know, you can I just hear see you. it. 
I'm listening. Good. I'm taking it on. <laughs> I like that. I hear you. Put it in my evidence bucket. Yeah, tell it, yeah. I do have write lots of down. those. <laughs> if, you, if anybody needs an evidence bucket, it's the best thing ever. Just write all the evidence down, down for the fact that you're an awesome person and it's a really lovely Or post-it notes. Post-it notes everywhere, honestly. Yeah, yeah. If you could look around my desk now. <laughs> yeah. but, it's, but it is lovely. And, you know, I, I certainly appreciate everything you've done for everybody in that group, um, oh, as, as the others do. And I, I appreciate everything you've posted on social media because I just look at you and think, yeah, well, there's somebody that's walk the walk you know I trust you which is oh. which is something that um I don't really trust many people to be honest no. <laughs> but I do think that you know I do think that um I can see yes I, you're, you're just honest and authentic and there's something I can't explain <laughs> I'm not really good at explaining these things but there's certain people that I have like um an affinity with why yeah I, yeah I have that yeah. click with um and you're one of them oh thank um, you that's a big compliment i'll take that as a massive compliment that's <laughs> yeah. going on my evidence board right, too. that's going on my evidence let's <laughs> close taking that as a compliment so i must be doing something right um God, what are we like um <laughs> pretty bad sometimes. but yeah i mean yes anyway i've said thank you for that um and just thank you for being you and thank you for coming on here and i hope people will um check you your stuff out on the internet because you know you work with a whole spectrum of people in all over the world you know yeah. there's, there's no boundaries now we've got the internet is there? no it's great it's, isn't it it's it's talk to everybody and um you know if people don't i think there is that that there's there's one hurdle that people potentially um people with disordered eating it's like when am i bad enough to seek help yeah. and that's the that's a big is, barrier and the answer is I give anybody and everybody permission, no, no matter where you are on that spectrum to seek help, just because you're not in your eyes bad enough, it doesn't mean you don't deserve to feel better. And what the fuck is bad enough? Like exactly. I didn't feel bad enough when I was, you know, at, at, at the worst that I was, you know, we never feel like we are bad enough or deserve it enough. Mm. So take this as your permission slip. And sort it out early. Yeah. don't, leave don't it. wait too long but it's also don't never too long. late and i think no, that's the well, no. thing. there is that but you know if yeah if you see yourself going down a particular road yeah try and do a u-turn because it's not good to meet a dead end um, no 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 and it you know it, it it's because it's not what you're really looking for no well thank you so note. much <laughs> on that cheerful note um <laughs> i should be joining your masterclass in a minute Wonderful. so um so yeah but thanks ever so much for doing this because it's really appreciated and good luck for everything you do and everybody needs to join the food freedom tribe and just check you out on social media thanks Wonderful. chloe thank you so much i think it's fascinating talking to people who are doing what they're doing because of their own experiences and i admire them for speaking up and being very honest about how the past has shaped their present and what they're doing now. Also, I think it's quite comforting to seek help from people that you know understand where you're at. It's so much easier to talk to somebody who you know has walked that walk. The Food Freedom Tribe on Facebook are very grateful to Chloe for all the masterclasses and Q&A she puts on there for free. Um, if you want to join into that community, just search for Food Freedom Tribe on Facebook. It is a closed group, so it's a very safe place to post. As for this podcast, not sure what I'm going to do next. I am quite liking the theme of people who help. But if anyone wants to take part or knows someone who wants to take part or knows of anybody who should take part or just anybody really, then do message me on Instagram where I'm almond.triangle or on email. That's almond.triangle at gmail.com and... 
I'm also on Discord now um, as Almond.Triangle, but I've no idea how it works or even whether you're able to drop someone a message who you don't know. So probably best to use Instagram or email. Otherwise, you're going to have to put up with me just talking about completely random things. Um, There's a lot that goes on in my head. Probably 90% of it is probably best left not said but but who knows I might just have to do it if I don't have anybody else to talk to so all that's left now really is to say kind wishes and well until next time bye